0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Beyond Busy, the show where we talk productivity, work life balance, and defining happiness and success. My name is Graham Alcott. I'm your host for the show. And on this episode, I'm talking to Persephone Pearl. Persephone is the founder of a thing called the Remembrance Day for Lost Species. And if you are uh, listening to this on the day that the podcast feed uh, pops up a new episode, uh, then today is a Remembrance Day for Lost Species. It's the 30th of November and we always put episodes out on a Thursday anyway, so it just made sense to combine our latest episode with Persephone, with the actual Remembrance Day for Lost Species. Um, I was about to say, happy Remembrance Day for Lost Species. Happy is probably not the right word to use in this circumstance. Uh, but nevertheless, I'll just say... Uh, Today is the Remembrance Day for Lost Species, so I would invite you to contemplate and think about and remember species that no longer exist on this planet and to think about your relationship with that, because we all have a relationship with that and it can sometimes seem like we don't. And this is sort of a theme for the episode as well. So we're going to talk at the beginning uh, about Persephone's uh, relationship with rituals and the importance of rituals. And I think this is really fascinating for organisations and for people running teams. You know, if you're managing people, if you've got a team of people, uh, trying to uh, reflect and create space to uh, provide some of those rituals to to kind of give structure to culture, I think is a really interesting thing. I think we don't do enough of it, actually, In particularly in British culture. I, I feel like we neglect a lot of rituals, Uh, Particularly, you know, when I've been around other parts of the world, and you really get a sense that there's a a lot more opportunities for people to sort of come together and think about particular issues and particular stuff. So, we get into that, we get into the importance of ritual and the importance of uh, remembrance within teams. Uh, We talk about Persephone's own struggles dealing with perfectionism and control, and just that whole thing about how. I think in all of in all of our work, in the work that everybody does, you know, you always want autonomy and you want a sense of control and you want a sense of being able to to influence stuff. But then also there are loads of other people, and how do you deal with the the collaboration uh, aspects of work and the uh, the need to have lots of conversations and for lots of other people to shape the work that you're doing? So we talk about that and some of the difficulties around that and and different kind of tips and tricks around that as well. Uh, So lots of stuff about collaboration and control, uh, lots of stuff about productivity in here and Persephone's own relationship with productivity. Uh, And then we also talk about switching off. And as you're going to hear, Persephone's work is very much based around, you know, sort of her own personal uh, motivations and politics and kind of uh, stuff that she wants to change in the world. And I think it's always fascinating to talk to those people about how they switch off because... When it's, when you're doing something that's so part of you and it's so ingrained and it feels like the world is burning, and I need to, I need to do as much as possible towards this. I think it can be really difficult and, uh, it can be hard because you feel guilty and, you know, you, d- you don't want to necessarily kind of drop things. So we talk about that. So a whole bunch of stuff. So you join us here. We're above the offices of Onco, which is the gallery that Persephone runs, uh, here in Brighton. Uh, so let's get straight into it. Here's my conversation with Persephone Pearl. Right, so uh, we are rolling, and yeah. I'm here with Persephone Pearl. Am I saying no, your name right? No,
1: you said that wrong. Yes, yeah, Persephone.
0: Persephone? Yeah. Persephone Pearl? Yeah. Persephone uh, Pearl. Greek goddess. Oh, okay. The goddess
1: right. of um, spring and summer, and uh, she goes down into the underworld, and that makes everything... She gets abducted, basically, by the lord of the underworld.
0: So did your parents name you after her or did yeah. you name you after no, no. her so that's actually your name from yeah, birth yeah but the
1: pearl pearl wasn't pearl i adopted pearl after a failed marriage okay yeah i All thought right. i couldn't i didn't want to keep that name and i didn't want to go back to my maiden name i thought i could I, I sat with it for ages thinking it was a bit it was a bit too kind of good self-esteemy but i decided it was good to be good self esteeming and i could have an alliterative Surname that, um, alliterative name that featured natural history. So I just did it.
0: Yeah, and Persephone Pearl, right? So that, I think you probably win the prize for the best name for I've name. had on Beyond Busy, right? <laughs> so, the, so well done. Um, and, um, I'm here with you at the Onka Gallery in the upstairs. Uh, kind of meeting space. Yeah, so we're going to maybe get on and talk about the gallery itself and what you guys do, but I want to start with the reason I'm sat here with you is because one of your colleagues, Ellie, was doing an event, and she had all this kind of literature out, and one of the things she had there was a leaflet about the Remembrance Day for Lost Species, which is actually today as you listen to this, if you are listening to this when it first comes out, so it's Thursday, November the 30th. Um, and I just thought, what an amazing idea. I'm just totally in love with this idea straight away and I want to find out more. Mm. So uh, let's start with that. So what is the Remembrance Day of Lost Species?
1: Uh, we set it up in 2011 and um, at that time I was in a theatre company and we we were preoccupied with looking at difficult issues <laughs> but making it kind of fun and accessible which is very much a kind of thread through my own work and through what Onka does. And... Um, and we made a play about mass extinction. It doesn't sound much fun, but it was quite good, actually. Um, and then on the back of that, we thought it, it felt like remembrance was something that we wanted to explore a bit more. And um, we also encountered a group of people who were building a, a, a stone memorial to Lost Species at exactly the same time that we were making this play. And the stone memorial was called The Life Can, and it was on um, at Glind, on um, Glind Beacon, m- m- Mount Caburn, next okay. to Glind. And um so we connected with those people and um, decided to try having a day um, in the November. Um, and yeah, it sort of started from there and it became it became apparent that the the, cur- the recurringness was an important part of it and and I was interested in th- this idea of the discipline of memory because a lot mm. of things that are disappearing without being kind of noticed yeah. um and a lot of stories we forget quite quickly collectively um so for example just by doing this research i was hearing about an um species quite you know extraordinary things that have gone extinct in the 20th century like i hadn't heard of the passenger pigeon which you may know that extinction story it's a it's an north american extinction story no and um, the so passenger pigeon was the most numerous bird on earth okay in the 19th in the in the 18th and 19th centuries and um as European settlers colonised um, the you know, landmass of North America and Canada, they basically cut down the forests as they went west. Right. And um, but they thought that these birds were imposs- impossibly superabundant and could never be the numbers could never be affected. Um, and they were just in these flocks that were they so they basically f- flocked up and down the America. Um kind of following the flowering and the, the fruiting and the seeding of, of the different tree types in the forest. Yeah. And um, so they were here one day and not the next and then you'd see them in another part and there were these kind of m- mythical abundance and they were used as cheap food to feed slaves mm. um, and poor poor people. And yeah, anyway, they were their, their habitat was wiped out and they were hunted into extinction and nobody saw it coming yeah and so they went extinct in 1914 and i had never heard of them and there was another one as well the story of the thylacine which was this quite big what it's kind of half is a um marsupial carnivore that lived originally in australia and then later in tasmania it's called the tasmanian tiger and um that that didn't die out until... That was wiped out again by um, European settlers as they took over Tasmania, and they also k- killed almost all of the indigenous Tasmanian people. Um, uh, but it wasn't extinct until 1936. Right, so it was, OK. It was, and there's film of it. And, yeah, anyway, they're amazing stories that I think we kind of... we They captivate people's imaginations, and I think it's a way into looking at the big patterns, historical patterns and sort of forces that have shaped the world that we find ourselves in now and if we tell the stories properly um, we can understand what's driving the changes that we're living through.
0: And a lot of these things are they're current as well as past as well right Mm -hmm. so um, I was in New Zealand about a year ago and was in a forest there and they were basically telling the story about how Possums were brought from Australia to New Zealand. Yeah. And in, oh. in Australia, I think possums are kind of uh, more than accepted. So they're kind of seen as being these cute little things that run around. Well they're stuff.
1: native, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, whereas
0: in New Zealand, they are absolutely hated as the most despicable creature in the ecosystem because what they're doing in the forests is because all, all the birds in New Zealand are not used to sort of land-based mammals running around. They just don't know that they're predators. And so lots of birds in New Zealand are really endangered because of that. And we were in this forest where the guy was saying, if, if you'd have been here, you know, even 50 years ago, the sound of the bird song would just be deafening. And we could just hear, like, one bird just mm-hmm. in the background and stuff. And it was just really striking, this story of, OK, this is, just ha- this is stuff that's happening now as mm-hmm. well as obviously... You know, the stories you are telling. there are are, are species that are already extinct as well. So is that part of the idea then to sort of make that connection into what's happening now and, you know, to sort of make people more aware of... Is this about changing behaviour as well as the memory?
1: So it's an an international day, so the invitation is to people to um, use it as it comes around as an opportunity to talk about, to explore or look at anything that... Seems important to them particularly, and I think, yeah, people do naturally want to look at um, what's going on around them, or to mark extinctions that might be local to their part of the world, or to talk about what's what's happening. Like you said, that's yeah. a really good example. Um, and you'll get people who really want to link it in with active or sort of, proactive conservation work as well. Yeah. Or um, yeah, sort of making links between paying attention and. Feeling something to being kind of galvanised into action to kind of try to change the ending of the story. Yeah. Um. And school. Lots of schools get involved as well and kind of do the storytelling work and then maybe feed through to thinking about what they can do in but practically where they live. Um. So, yeah. There's a kind of there's a focus on there's a focus on action. There's also a focus on it's also quite political as yeah. well because I think it's we kind of encourage people to. Whilst what I'm trying to do now more is to look at the stories of those individual extinctions and kind of piece them together into the bigger, the bigger patterns to kind of think critically about um, how to resist, resist the pattern. <clears throat> I think something that I'm trying to do more now than previously is really kind of concretely making the links between the. Extermination of non-humans and the atrocities done to humans
0: hmm, interesting and tell me about the just the range of events because I looked on the website for last year's
1: yeah.
0: um, day and there was just I mean yeah, what was, was striking was mm. the map around the world <laughs> with just all these different events and also just the diversity of the types of events and stuff that were happening so from this one little idea just tell us about some of the interesting stuff that has sprung out of that
1: well, it's it's still mainly in Europe and North America, and I think that is okay. That's that's to do with you know where it feels relevant, and it's also in in um, Aust- Australia, New Zealand mm. as well, Canada. Um, so events can range from one person doing a vigil, for example. Someone in Tasmania went to the site of the zoo where the last thylacine. Um, Died last year and um, took um, some native wildflowers and, you know, had their own private memorial um, there. And then, you know, in another part of the world in Wales, um, where's the River Taff? I don't
0: know. <laughs> That's really. Funny. I'm really
1: sorry, but I think it's in I think it's in Wales. But there was um, a river swimmer. They swam in um, quite a. A damaged river, Mm. actually, and they um, it was a kind of swim of like connecting with the river and gratitude for its continued life force, and also kind of acknowledging what the harms that are done to it. Um, and then there are bigger things like, um, we had a procession, um, uh, from the gallery down to the beach with a ritual element, we made this thylacine. Um, and we burnt it on the beach which is something that I personally enjoy and I'm quite interested in exploring those sort of funeral um, Mm -hmm. structures Um, there's art competitions um, and school assemblies um, tree planting um, kite making Uh, (laughs) this year there's a focus on pollinators so not only extinct um, creatures that would pollinate plants and flowers but also um, looking at what's happening to insects and pollinators at the moment because there's a lot of, there's a a massive population crash but there's concrete steps that people can take um, to make life easier for um, insects namely planting flowers it sounds really simple but also engaging with you know corporate misbehaviour basically and like trying to learn about Pharmaceuticals and you know herbicides, pesticides, and the kind of mechanisation of farming and food growing and the mm-hmm. chemicalisation of it. Um, so there's going to be um, celebration of organic food growing um, in Wales. That's happening. There's, this is called a pollinator uh, polytunnel pilgrimage.
0: Polytunnel, <laughs> and polytunnel
1: pilgrimage. pilgrimage and <laughs> uh, pollinator pizzas. I think that's something that's <laughs> happening at some kind of food project over in Wales and there's a a kind of it's called a Council of All Beings gathering somewhere in, in Heidelberg in Germany that's a a process a sort of ecological process a kind of workshop process that was um, created by Joanna Macy who's a deep ecologist okay. now um, there was a vigil and a potluck by a river in Sacramento last week
0: a pot what? a potluck, a, like potluck. A, food, a
1: food sharing where people oh, right, bring okay. and, and share I don't know if that's how you pronounce yeah. it um, there's going to be a swarm in Glasgow I don't quite know what that means it's sort of fun yeah fun stuff that includes yeah. children basically or stuff that's really you know kind of just about feeling I think the point yeah. is it's to make a space that's out of out of the um, business as usual out mm. of the routine
0: but it's, I guess it's very similar in its intention to um, like Remembrance Sunday um in that it it is a you know, everyone stops and everyone has a, a minute's silence and you remember and you wear a poppy for a period of time. There are certain parts of that ritual, aren't there, that allow people to it just gives a framework for people to remember in whatever way they want to do. So is that yeah, I mean it it sort of feels like a really obvious thing in some ways. Like why did that like all the best ideas are ideas that are really obvious once they exist and it's like oh why did this not exist before but there's probably lots of other do you think about other things where there might be remembrance rituals or or other kind of rituals like that that should exist that don't exist now is that part of
1: yeah well i think there are there are some they need to grow they need to grow um i just think the calendrical recurrence is critical and i'm interested in i'm interested in remembrance Sunday because it is something that has stuck but it is problematic you know it's quite it's very sort of top down and it feels like there's a bit of guilt and kind of um behaviour policing around wearing the poppy this and year
0: just felt ridiculous around that stuff yeah right? it felt like the poppy just became this highly charged I
1: controversial I even had a weird thing. feeling about my yeah. white poppy yeah oh, well it was just well that's con- sorry there's that like are you wearing the poppy and if not why not but then from the other side of it it was like should you be even wearing anything mm. at all because you'll be and that's you sort of <laughs> being simplistic um, the white poppy with its peace, you know, which I obviously it sounds absolutely like, you know, what, what's to what's to discuss? But that there's a sort of o- o- potentially an oversimplifying, you know, when you just say oh peace," um, when in fact it's struggle, or like, how can you be peaceful? Yeah. How can yeah. you be at peace when there's so much war <clears throat> still yeah. going on now, and so many people still being abused and in like, extreme suffering? So. Yeah, I feel like there's there's space for more conversations around remembrance a lot more. And I guess that this feeds into that, but we didn't want to kind of overlap with it too much. We yeah. wanted it to be like pluralistic and self-generated and it is artist-led, you know. And so there is that, you know, how would you mark extinctions? What do you think we need to learn and talk about what do you want to pay attention to and how would you do it and the ritual element is quite interesting as well, some people choose to make rituals and that's something that was very kind of worn down in this culture, Like we're not, we're very ritual averse, phobic even mm. and um, so it's a sort of oh, what what would a rich what can a rich a secular ritual be, I mean yeah. there are Christians that, there's a church in Wild Church that has done things for Remembrance Day but also, you know, it's very much a secular initiative. Um, and what, what would that, what does that look yeah. like? How can you? I and also, what I was though. just
0: thinking of is um, a ritual or a remembrance around um, putting some focus on sort of, I guess, like human achievement or sort of people who've really pushed the human race forward in some way. So having a day where, you know, someone might choose to think about Einstein and someone might choose to think about their favourite scientist. or I don't know. Just some, It's
1: political though, isn't it? Like, who do you yeah, who, choose? Yeah, and then who
0: does that become? Yeah, yeah. But, that, but that could be the personal element of it. But basically you're sort of saying, I guess in lots of other cultures it feels like there's a much greater sense of respect for the sort of idea of like forefathers or the previous generations yeah. and ancestry and all that. And it feels like we don't really... Respect that so much in certainly in British culture, it's sort of like you're just forgotten, and that's that. That would be the other thing yeah, it's that very just uncool, just springs isn't it? to my it's mind as history. a thing to remember and contemplate and think about. So. Yeah.
1: yeah, I mean, I just think we should all be historians basically <clears throat> because you can't really make sense of the world as you find it without learning about history. And I've my work currently, and it is connected, and I'm just trying to kind of get better at articulating the links, you know. my around white supremacy and the slave trade, that feels like that's a huge thing that we're <laughs> culturally mm. t- blinded to. It's not part of yeah. our uh, curriculums. It's not something that we want to look at at all. I always think it's over now or, or it happened over there. But how huge that is, how huge a trauma that is kind of around the world.
0: Yeah. And I'm
1: wanting to make the links between those sort of human abuses and the uh, environmental justice, basically, for humans as well as places and... Non-humans making those, telling those stories together in ways that don't do a disservice to any of them. Yeah. So yeah, I mean there is there is Black History Month. I guess that's the most interesting kind of yeah history I guess, yeah. initiative. Is, not Yeah. People just say it shouldn't be Black History Month. It should yeah. be. It should just be continual continual Black History from you know reception upwards. Yeah. Oh, I thought
0: what you were going to say is you get all the other people on the other side who say. Oh well, when's White History Month? I mean, oh God, yeah. Like, well, I don't. It's have the to. same with the International Women's just, Day. Everyone goes, when's International Men's Day? <laughs> it's just not like, everyone. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know.
1: I just I want to shut that down. <laughs> <laughs> it makes me very angry. Yeah. While
0: well, we're on the but, subject, but, of... but
1: it's really important to to interrogate why do people say that, and that is the sort of white white supremacist patriarchy that makes it seem okay to say that.
0: For sure, but also the job of. Of say International Women's Day or Black History Month has been to create that debate in a way in in a way and perhaps in people that wouldn't have had that debate before. So that's it's kind of doing its job by even people getting angry about it in a way. I think is kind of an interesting thing. Um, in thinking about ritual and remembrance, so obviously a lot of people who would listen to this are people who are either working in businesses or organisations or charities or whatever. Um, and they might be running teams. And I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts on the idea of ritual mm. and how you apply that with your team. So oh, do, do you yeah. think about that in terms of how you manage people or how you sort of celebrate events? and stuff like that? Is there a crossover in your sort of thinking or practice mm. around that stuff?
1: That's such a good question and I do think it's important. We've actually just been um, doing this really lovely... Process for the last few months um, with two friends of the organisation who are also amazing facilita- creative facilitators, and they've they've done a training in a, in a new process called Cultural Emergence. Okay, and they've gifted us this kind of monthly se- session, um, and um, with Cultural Emergence, there are these sixteen principles that are around kind of well being, basically, and the kind of. The necessary ingredients to kind of to, for, he- for health at your kind of individual, organisational, sort of cultural, and then sort of ecological right, okay. levels. And um, I can't, I this. <laughs> one of them is around um, the core importance of taking time to celebrate what mm. you do. So, you know, reflection, celebration, that sort of renewal that comes um through actually saying you know we did good or you're amazing or just let's take us let's take time out to um acknowledge the work the value of the work that we're doing and so um whenever we do um make space for those rituals however simple they are for example like a monthly meal in this room um it feels, very, it feels like it's about organisational or good health. But what I notice is there's a continual, it's a continual battle to, to keep those spaces carved out. Mm, yeah. um, they'll just be swallowed, even unconsciously I'm doing it, and that's sort of swallowing them up because we feel too busy.
0: <clears throat> yeah, for sure. I, I definitely think I'm guilty of that as well I've just been
1: giving it a short shrift isn't it
0: so. yeah for sure I've just been doing uh, school open day visits because my little boy goes to school in September and one of the things that's really striking there is the idea of the star of the week or the you know so, so they have a thing where and in one of the schools what was, what was really interesting is it wasn't the teachers nominating it it was the kids themselves deciding who was the star of the week that week and kind of Acknowledging kindness oh. and acknowledging good behaviour, mm-hmm. oh, that's so lovely. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, like, they're sort of starting to think they're being encouraged and facilitated to think in that way. But I, as I was walking around, was thinking, oh, God, I don't know that I'm doing enough of this at, at my company, Think Productive. Uh, and it's that same thing. You know, you feel busy, you feel driven towards whatever the next thing is, and so you're more focused on what that next goal is rather than celebrating the achievement of, you know, meeting the last goal kind of thing.
1: And gratitude, I think it ties in with gratitude, doesn't it, as well? like I think gratitude's a bit sort of underrated culturally, just to sort of stop and say thank you, whatever that's for. Mm. And I guess within a team, it's about uh, thanking people for their service or their ingenuity or, or yeah. whatever it is, in whatever way that is. So, yeah, we, have, we do have quite nice team meetings, weekly that have quite a sort of strong structure and we always start with check-ins and we've started to try to build um bsl into the check-ins which that's british sign language because cool yeah we've got um some fantastic um deaf friends who are teaching bsl level one here at the moment and it's a really one it's a great thing that's happening here so we're trying to incorporate it into the team um but you know it's you have to make the spaces to do it yeah. it's like yeah otherwise yeah. it'll fizzle um, so we're trying to do that in ops every week which is kind of nice. somewhat hilarious I know. did my
0: BSL level 1 like 20 years ago and I don't know that I can remember no, much, much more You've than please and thank it. you and stuff yeah
1: it's BSL zone cool you can watch it that's on the TV you can watch oh, it oh right the yeah, yeah, yeah yeah learn how to I was just watching um somebody signing i um, happy by Pharrell today <clears throat> oh, on nice. YouTube yeah, yeah, yeah that's quite a good way to learn BSL I think potentially I mean at basic level because of the repetition yeah. and the fun
0: and and it's also just a very engaging thing isn't it like because it's physical and yeah. you're sort of having to be very sort of face to face and eye contact with people and stuff like that so, yeah all good um, so let's carry on on that theme but talk about Anka so you mentioning there about carving out that space out of busyness Mm. to think about ritual and stuff and I'm wondering whether the other consequence of what you do is as an artist but also the director of a gallery does the inevitable need to apply for more funding and and recruit people and manage people and look after people, does that pull you away from you being an artist and is that a struggle that you have? Yeah (laughs) Yeah So how do you deal with that and how do you feel about that?
1: I'm ambivalent about that and I would like to have a job share with someone else um, because I I think that having that perspective is really important and I don't know how to balance the workload with mm. reflective time and sort of just the quiet time for ideas to sort of settle and simmer. So there's a, there's a continual kind of anxiety that you're not quite doing justice to this yeah. or that or things are just kind of waiting to come into fruition but what I've got better at is having pacey meetings with people which cut straight to the chase of the thing that we're talking about and and also I've got better at letting things be an experiment letting things be imperfect Mm. because there is something very reassuring about having a space I just wanted to say we have the gallery but it's not just a gallery this is a it's and it's an it's a charity yeah. and we run a lot of um, we host events so we also organize our own exhibitions and stuff off-site like the stuff that Ellie runs we're continually kind of running projects and trying to engage pe- work with people on-site and off-site and you know using art as a way to get people talking and making and feeling good or looking at difficult stuff so um, yeah having the space is very reassuring because you know you can just it's not like you do a play and the play was terrible you know or the play went down and it bombed and then you're just left going oh god if only it had been different or we'd had more rehearsal time I sort of think we can have an experiment here and then we can do it again or someone will come back it's a it's always a conversation yeah um and we don't have and I think that that's that's quite enabling for people just thinking, oh, you know, they're not the experts. This is a sort of shared endeavor. So, you know, we've got a kind of ethos of workshops and, and dialogue and kind of experimental events happening in the gallery. And it's always like, well, what do you want? If you didn't like that, then what do you, what, what, what can you contribute? Now, what would you like to do? How would you like to run it? Please, can we um, try it that way or do it differently next time? So, and do you yeah. see? Is it's your job you being perfectionistic? Yeah. Is your
0: job within that? I want to definitely come back to perfectionism in a second mm. as well. Do you think is your job within that, and maybe the other some of the other team members of Onka's job within that is to sort of be the the facilitators for sort of fluid, I guess fluidity as as a concept really, but just this idea of uh, like things are going to sort of change and meld and merge and develop as you go. Yes, um, And so you have to just be really comfortable with the idea that it's not kind of your personal vision or expression or like there's, there's no kind of one author of the stuff in that way. That, I you, sound like you, know. <laughs> you sound like you
1: know, you sound like that's coming from your own experience very much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but again, the space is the space kind of is a container. The physical space is a container for that. So you know you can come back here and carry on with those conversations, and Mm. you can you know carry on with the conversations online as well, or you know through blogs or in the pub or whatever. But yeah, yeah, and it feels what I think I've learned since from being here is that the conversation you know really does need to evolve. Like organizational culture needs to evolve. the way that we talk about environmental crisis needs to evolve, evolve. The way we talk about power structures needs to evolve, making those connections and being mm. like highly reflective as an organisation. So it does feel like nothing's, nothing's really settled in terms yeah. of how we talk about things except having the space is this kind of profoundly grounding yeah. thing for us. I think there's
0: so many parallels their own lessons to people who are just like working in organizations and people have this sense of wanting to control everything or mm-hmm. and I think just generally the human ego has this thing that their own contribution to the thing is more significant than it probably really is to the rest of the world like everyone's a everyone's an extra in someone else's film as well right yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I wonder if that's a is that something that you think Artists would be wrestling with more this idea of the sense of control and the sense of perfection. And what are your what are your tips and tricks to to sort of deal with that mentally or to get away from those sort of instincts in that way?
1: I guess it's not being afraid to get asked for feedback or to like have dialogue around what it is mm. that you're making and to not be attached to it. Like to accept that the thing that felt relevant last month might actually being an old an old draft, and that yeah, you need to. Yeah. It needs to develop, um, but it won't develop unless you're talking about it. With, and li- well, actually, listening to other people and what they what they have to say. So, and, but that's. I guess that's really that's about kind of commun. Uh, I should think poetry, for example, is a bit different, or accounting.
0: Uh, <laughs> that's a profound. thing Is it? I don't know. I'm just kind of thinking, is it different? Yeah, I don't, don't know. know. Um,
1: I mean, we, we I think what we want with the gallery is we want to, to have a space that can be can be quite tightly controlled. Actually, you know, yeah. if you, we just had a fabulous exhibition in there that was beautiful portraits of farmers um, in Romania, and um, the artist curated that herself, and she had very clear ideas about what, what she wanted the space to look like and yeah. what, what the story was. That she was telling, but then also, you know, we really—it was really important that there were events in the gallery and that there was that kind of dialogue. And she sat in the space so she could chat with people about about the project. Yeah. Um, but it was she was very much kind of the in, in charge of the space, and then at the other end, you know, we'll have workshops that are just kind of like experimental movement or some really. Deep stuff about imagining 400 years into the future, or like what did slavery feel like, mm. you know, that's kind of the opposite end of the spectrum. But yeah, yeah it's a, it's, we, we try to sort of facilitate people to get the most from their experience of being in a gallery. Um, but it's not always easy to kind of have the kind of beautiful white art space. And also to have a place that's welcoming and can be messy. Yeah, that's something that we, yeah, because you need the beautiful space to attract. We need to attract people who want to come, who have have ideas about, you know, what an art space is like, or that it's a reflective space. And we also want that space to be a place for play and investigation and fun. So there's kind of tensions at the heart of what we're doing, but I think it's okay. Like every day. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So we're just kind of holding holding them every day and trying to find ways to be here and be sustainable financially. Yeah. Is a whole other thing. And that's a
0: whole yeah. Another sort of battle that you have to yeah. go into on a regular basis. Yeah. Um come back to this idea of perfectionism though. Yeah. Is is that something that in your own work you have struggled with?
1: Um, yeah, of course. Yeah. Because well, actually my own work recently has been well, my work for Omka, a lot of the markets are actually writing funding proposals. Yeah. And they need to be perfect. Right. Or do they? That's kind of crummy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or do they? Well God you just you don't want to risk it. Um but then on the other hand you need to be able to Include, you know, if you want to talk about the organisation or or flesh out an idea for a project that you really want backers to believe in, that project idea has to be owned by a lot of people Mm. to be truthful. Like, actually, it shouldn't just be one person's idea. Like, it's the whole collective of people saying, this is what we need to explore. This is what's urgent right now. So, um, yeah, I am quite controlling about some things. Like, I'm quite controlling about some of the language that we use in our kind of publications and mm. stuff like that. With my own practice I would be a perfectionist if I had more time, but to be <laughs> honest, so we it, with the theatre company that been, I've been I was set up 10 years ago with my friends. The whole time we had like kids and would have them clinging on to us and were always making work in the evenings or you know just frantically devising something before showing it. You know, that weekend, or, or liaising via email and Skype, and just you know putting a lot of thought into something, but then you just kind of put it out there and trust yeah. sort of serendipity and trust the intention. So yeah, I believe in prolific art making. I think it's very inspiring when I just see people who continually—it's a continual process. Like, done this, next thing, next thing, next thing. Next I love thing. Yeah, that. I yeah, love that.
0: Yeah, and I guess. Do you think those people... Do you think part of the ability to do that is being able to deny your own perfectionism or overcome it? Overcoming so it,
1: isn't it? And it's saying, it's okay, it wasn't perfect and yeah. I'm not going to be crushed by the fact that somebody thought it was awful or somebody had a violent reaction. I'm actually going to kind of go, okay, I'm really listening. But at the same time, I'm kind of grounded enough to not let that totally throw me. Mm. Just keep, I'll, I'll incorporate that somehow and incorporate it and keep moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever moving forward means, or keep digging down, or yeah,
0: um, is that your is that one of the big fears as an artist is criticism and people not not getting it in inverted commas?
1: Yeah, I guess it is because you have shared your soul with the one You've yeah. made your soul, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think that's what we've, we each of us needs to kind of find ways to deal with criticism. Mm. Um, because it's important. But at the same time, you mustn't let people who aren't trying themselves, who maybe don't understand or don't care, you mustn't let that stop you from continuing to try.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah,
1: because there's there's constructive criticism that you need to be braced for, and then there's just people who don't get it and aren't interested, and it's important to... Recognize.
0: Yeah, so it's almost like choosing when to sort of hold your hands over your eyes of the ears. <laughs> yes. of the ego in that way, and when to actually go no, like you actually do need to hear this now. Like yeah. this is this is to listen to. Um, and tell me about your relationship with productivity as a word. So this podcast we talk about work-life balance and uh, we talk about people how how people define happiness and success and also how people just get things done um, so do you think you're a productive person do you think you get a lot of
1: stuff done I think I do get a lot of stuff done yeah but it's not it's not sort of not by being particularly organised it's by being really just driven and obsessional um, and I think working as part of a team here with um, we've got this fabulous or manager here who's very passionate about structure and I've kind of really, I really value, I really value having structures in place mm-hmm. to kind of contain that, contain that, that prolific energy. Um, so I
0: was about to ask, do you, I think you're answering it already, but I was about to ask, would you like to be driven and organised or do you feel like being organised would in some way inhibit the creativity or inhibit the drive?
1: No, I don't think it inhibits it. I think it can it can help it to just make sense. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I mean, I think I've got to... I'm man, I'm, part of my job is... is, is ma- I hate the word managing. I've got a kind of problem yeah, with it. Yeah, yeah. Um, because it's not something that I ever kind of thought I would be doing. But there's a, definitely a sort of... A, a dance with kind of encouraging people to be... Productive. I mean, I'm obviously gonna have to read your book. <laughs> like targets, yeah. that kind of language around management, targets and um, marketing, and you know, rec- reach and recruitment and etc. And then actually, well, what does your heart want
0: mm-hmm. to
1: do? And yeah. what, where where do you what you know where are you leaning? And when how can we support you to to nurture that? Thing that you're trying to articulate. How can we nurture that into existence? And I, yeah, I, I feel like that's that's a that's an art. And I don't manage heavily at all. I feel like with a small group, there's a lot of tr- trust that people are super committed to this organisation and its vision, and are just working their socks off to kind of. M- Make it continue, you know. Make it grow and be be the best that it can. Yeah. Um, but you know. And
0: it's sort of certainly my sort of ex- interactions with Onca. So meeting Ellie and then being on the Onca website and looking at the biogs of like the trustees and stuff. And mm. is it Claire who is the founder?
1: Laura is the founder. Laura. Yeah. Um,
0: so reading Laura's biog and then reading yours, it was like, oh, it's amazing that you guys found each other. So it has this sort of feeling of. A whole bunch of people who have a very similar sort of shared set of aims and motivations. I'd imagine managing isn't going to be that difficult in that environment compared to
1: small performance honest, managing yeah. in a call
0: centre when someone isn't hitting their targets. Is a whole other. <laughs> they hate their job. Like you're not going to be anywhere near uh, those sort of dynamics in that sense, right? Like okay. you've got people who are just inherently motivated and on the same sort of wavelength or or whatever in in, in doing that work. I guess. Um, um, in terms of thinking about your drive, where do, where do you think your drive comes from?
1: My mum, probably. Your mum? Yeah. Yeah, she was always like super driven, kind yeah. of role model. Um, she was a doctor. Yeah, she worked really hard. Um, and I guess g- growing up, I had a love, I mean, this is what you hear people say, you know, they had a love of the living world around them and i just always knew that that was where my that was my kind of that was my formative experience was having a house that was very close to some woods yeah. and being outside a lot and i had lots of pets and i was very curious about non-humans yeah and then kind of learning about the the state of the world of feeling you know motivated to <clears throat> work for that cause but it's it still it is very much an evolving practice and yeah, I I wouldn't say there's a kind of I'm not settled on a I'm not I'm settled on a kind of set of values, but I'm not settled on how. I feel like it's all all about listening and dialogue now. That's the yeah. sort of urgency. It's not about proselytizing, it's about listening um to what is important to people and and looking at social justice now, not just looking at it, but working to promote it and you know, looking at big issues like Well, Brexit, migration, environmental refugees, racism—these are things that we need to urgently bring into the space and listen. Mm -hmm. You know, homophobia, um, misogyny—that these things all feed into the world that we and the structure. You know, the structural inequalities in the world that we live in that help to kind of generate the problems that we face. And yeah, I just that's. My mission and my drive is around kind of making space for the Im- for the environmental movement to be, fucking, excuse me, to be much better than it has on been. The podcast, it's fine. Yeah, it hasn't <laughs> been enough. It hasn't yeah, been good absolutely. enough. It hasn't been enough. It hasn't been. It's, yeah, there have been a lot of victories, but it hasn't done. It hasn't told the stories properly. It doesn't tell them. It doesn't tell the stories of climate change properly. Like for example, you know, I mean. Polar, the polar bear iconography—it um, doesn't talk about people, for example. Like climate justice is a massive thing; like, we should care about mm. people um, and hear from them and learn from them. Like what what is being lost, um, as well. You know, as as carbon dioxide emissions go up, you know, what is disappearing? Like, what, what does what has tar sands done? Like where are the voices where are those ways of living that we should be learning from like this kind of frantic race to, um, to fore- foreground voices that are continually erased and that's what I'm wanting to do more in the gallery um, next year and I'm really hoping we get funding for the Arts Council to yeah, do it yeah. yeah
0: and it always really frustrates me when the next general election comes around and Caroline Lucas sort of puts up a hand and says, what about climate, what about the environment? And it's sort of just drowned out. And it's like, why... It, the last election particularly, it just felt like there was no
1: it's conversation
0: about it's our responsibilities for the environment at all. It's, and it's, it's obviously very... just the hugest issue. So does that... Just think about your own drive, how do you maintain motivation there? Because it's a very... feels like a very demotivating... Place to be doing your work in that sense.
1: Mm. Well, I think we've got more political, actually. Yeah, like trying to understand why you know looking looking at the kind of news cycle and looking at kind of po- political s- scandals and stories and how we're we're distracted from the bigger stories. Like trying to kind of we talk about ourselves as translators, so um, you know shining a light on that i guess or making a space for people to have conversations that they don't find in the mainstream they don't Mm -hmm. find in the mainstream media but Yeah. yeah it is demoralizing but at the same time it's also you know there are victories and um as a storytelling organization and as you know as somebody who likes stories i just think we are practicing new stories like we are working out what are the stories that we want to hear if we're not interested in those stories like then what do we what are the stories that I shouldn't say we you know what are the stories that need to be told what are the kind of ideas that need to be birthed and and held and kind of midwifed into into being and that's mm. that's where we put our energy I think I, yeah so Caroline Lucas is one of our patrons and she, oh, we absolutely love her um, I think she's a really, really inspirational politician.
0: So just before we finish then, I'm um, interested to hear about when you have uh, such a drive and such a cause that is so, like it's so big and it's mm-hmm. so important, how do you switch off and enjoy the little things? So think about like work-life balance, how do you, how do you sort of enjoy really frivolous small things to allow you to have that balance do you know what I mean and do you think you do do that I would love to do it more
1: actually yeah I used to really like going out and partying and I don't do it enough I've got kids as well so I've kind of I love hanging out with them and they always entertain and delight me and they're always changing so I'm always kind of curious about what they're going to say next or what they're learning about the world and I do like to pay attention to small things so that's lucky really because I'm quite easily easily pleased by like, <laughs> stroking the cat or sitting in the garden and, yeah yeah
0: and but do you feel like you switch off well do you think is that no, a difficult no I'm terrible thing at for you? switching off
1: and I um, to switch off I probably need to have some wine but I don't do that very much it's not not.
0: (laughs) so tips and tricks for the podcast in order to switch off just have wine (laughs) there's definitely been times in my life where that's been my solution too Uh, what are your other sort of tips and tricks around sort of being able to disconnect or switch off or have that balance in your life what works for you
1: well, my partner doesn't work. works in a really different sector, so um, we find <laughs> we don't tend to talk about work too much, which is quite nice. And um, so ne-
0: neither of you talk about work because it's so different.
1: We do a little bit, but it's not like it kind of carries on right, and it gets okay. really intense yeah. at home. Yeah, which is probably a good thing. Um, yeah, well, we watch Game of Thrones stuff yeah. like that. Merles <laughs> <laughs> <Inversals> in fantasy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not probably the best person to talk to about switching off. I think being physical is really helpful. Mm. So doing things like yoga and riding the bike or... I used to do a lot more physical practice and I do miss that, that sort of being in my body and not in my kind of intellectual space. So, yeah, I would definitely tell people that that's, that's a good way to wellness, like yeah. doing exercise yeah, or creative movement like dance. Um, but, yeah, I'm not... Don't ask me for advice. On <laughs> uh,
0: and the final question: What what scares you? What are the things that maybe keep you up at night, or what worries you in your work?
1: Well, you've probably got the themes. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I want the organisation to continue, yeah. And so I think as a director, then that that is a kind of you know anxiety, like wanting wanting believing in the organisation and mm. wanting it to kind of flourish. And sort of be financially sustainable as well. So that's something. Anything to do with money kind of keeps me awake and makes me worry. Yeah. Um, but yeah, know The big the questions about the pre- state of the earth and state of humans, pe- people, what people do to each other and to to the earth around them, and the speed of change that keeps me awake. Yeah. And sometimes I can't listen to the news and. To not be very careful, be very careful about what I, what I listen to, because I can go into a tailspin and not not really feel like I can work that day. Yeah, just need to.
0: And how do you retreat? Um, I guess how do you protect yourself from those bigger fears in that way?
1: I just think I think gratitude is something that I try to cultivate and like I was saying a minute ago paying attention to the small things hmm. because they are important the small things are really important Cool Yeah and I guess there's lots of inspirational stories and people and projects and activists and thought leaders and writers and artists out there that you know that's continually a source of inspiration.
0: Yeah, so strengthen numbers and strengthen mm. that inspiration. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, just tell everyone uh, how they can find out more about Onca and uh, yeah, just give a bit of a outreach oh, pitch well, for the work that you do. Thank
1: you. So, Onca's, uh it's on it's at St George's Place in Brighton. So, it's very near the station. You just go down the hill towards St Peter's Church from the station, and we're open. Most of the time the building's open seven days a week and you're, we're online at onca.org.uk. Um, you're welcome to come. We've actually got an amazing exhibition coming up. So the exhibition we up when this podcast goes out and it's around um, Lost Species Day and we've got amazing embroideries and loads of cool, cool activities. In fact, on the 30th we're doing our procession for lost pollinators. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um,
0: so that's like 6pm is it yeah 6pm yeah we're going
1: to go it's going to involve a lot of dead flowers I think and a fire Um, and yeah you can find us uh, if you want cool art project um, in your school or community group then we would love to work with you or if you want to come in and join in or offer an activity or run a project here please be in touch yeah
0: yeah, and if you're listening to this on November the 30th, maybe here's an invitation to tweet or just Facebook or make reference to, to Remember It's Day for Lost yeah, Species, exactly. right? Like People can just do their own Thank thing you. towards it. It's
1: hashtag RDLS2017, and the, the Twitter handle is Lost Be- at Lost Species Day. Yeah. Cool.
0: Well, thanks so much for hanging out. It's been really nice. And uh, I think there's just loads of interesting stuff to... Uh, where people can take lessons from that and and share things so thank you very much thank you so thanks again to Persephone for being on the show and you can find uh, at getbeyondbusy.com you'll find a whole bunch of uh, show notes uh, all the stuff that we talked about during this episode and also links to previous episodes so that's all at getbeyondbusy.com some really great previous guests uh, if you're new to Beyond Busy, that you can go and check out, including the comedian Josie Long, including Gerald Ratner of R- Ratner's fame, and in the '80s the sort of the phrase "doing a Ratner" uh, and a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, lots of people who are not springing straight to my mind right now, but everyone from. Uh, Let's say everyone from uh, Olympic gold medalists through to clowns and CEOs and founders of companies and all kinds of other stuff as well. So uh, lots of interesting takes on these themes of work-life balance and happiness and productivity uh, over at GetBeyondBusy.com. This episode is sponsored by Think Productive. So go check out ThinkProductive.com. That's my company, by the way, if you didn't know that already and uh, i also have a book called productivity ninja so go and check that out as well uh, i left a couple of copies for persephone in her office of the book productivity ninja so we'll see we'll see what the the guys at onka make of productivity ninja and um i if you're listening onka people uh go read it tell me what you think and um yeah I'm very honored to be in your library alongside all those books about ecology and turtles and lots of other stuff. <laughs> so that's that. Uh so we'll be back in 2 weeks time with another episode of Beyond Busy. And anything else I need to tell you, I think that's probably it for this week. And just a final thing is if you are listening to this on November the 30th, please do tweet and share and Facebook and all that stuff. Uh, about the Remembrance Day for Lost Species. It'd be really good to just do our bit here to spread the word about about that. And um, if you listen to this on any other day, I mean, it doesn't have to be the uh, the official day for you to just light a candle or just quietly contemplate your own relationship with the other species that live on this planet and the fact that many of them have died and and died out and um, faced extinction, uh, often because of the actions of humans. And I think it's worth just taking a moment to reflect upon that so on that very serious note but very important note uh, i'll wrap it up for this week we're back in two weeks time with another episode of beyond busy And until then take care bye for now